electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I just want to try to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate. Put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Signs. We're always looking for signs. Signs that the pain might be over. The house of pain. Signs that the bear might be on the last leg. That there's been so much pain, it just has to end soon, right? Wrong. Just plain wrong. We are not sure when the beatdown's going to be over. But it's definitely not over when you get a day like yesterday, where our stocks roar because of something that happened in Britain, of all places, something that's nothing to do with the United States, because that's precisely how you get a horrible reversal like we had today. Sell, 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 sell. Dow lost 458 points. S&P dropped 2.11%. And the Nasdaq nosedived 2.84%. No, no. I don't want to be a bear of bad news, but I also don't want you to get faked out again. It's kind of like my mantra here. I don't want you to lose a lot of money. So let me tell you what we need to see before you can actually be as excited as the buyers were yesterday. Now, first, I want to start on a positive note. If you buy stock share, I actually think that you'll most likely make money a year year from now. I say that because if you bought the most traded stocks the day before the crash of 1987, arguably the dumbest day in history to buy stocks, and then you held them for a year, you made good money. The market immediately got cut in half after you bought, and you still came out ahead after 12 months. To me, that cuts in favor of doing a little buying, like we did a little buying for my charitable trust. But I think you'll do okay, not great, right now. The market's oversold. There are a lot of good companies on the new low list. Eventually, owning them will work out. They'll do fine. But you could do even better by waiting for the right moment where things are a little more clear. What does that moment look like? Okay, for starters, you need to understand that this is a bear market. And each bear market is unhappy in its own way, to paraphrase, paraphrase Tolstoy. This bear market's dependent on the Federal Reserve. 
And the hawks on the Fed need to be appeased before it can end. That's just the way it is. That's the script. And that's why we need to anticipate exactly what the Fed wants, particularly the hawks on the Fed. Unfortunately, there's one word of what they really want. They want pain. Specifically, they want to stamp out wage growth. And that hasn't happened yet. They want people to stop making more money or even outright maybe even make less money. The Fed's making that happen by raising interest rates to the level where nobody wants to start a new business or expand an existing one. With higher rates, companies that need to raise money may not be able to get it. This morning, though, we learned that jobless claims hit a five-week, five-month low. After all this tightening, you'd think they'd be going the other way. That claims number was nothing short of a disaster. <laughs> The opposite of what a bull would be looking for. No wonder Loretta Mester, the president of the Cleveland Fed, came on Squawk Box this morning. Uh, Steve Lutzman interviewed her, and she sounded incredibly hard line about the need for more rate hikes. But that was only her first punch. It got worse. Later on in the day, she came out and said that even a recession won't stop the Fed from tightening. Even a recession. That may be the toughest talk I've ever heard from anyone in the Fed in 40 years. And believe me, I was alive and well when Paul Volcker was doing what he was doing. When you see a low jobless claims after all they've done, it will most likely lead to another overheated employment number next week, which will cause still one more run-up in Treasury yields, something that's real bad for stocks. Mester is such a hawk that I don't know if she'll be appeased until we go to 5% unemployment, with food and wages both lower than they were pre-pandemic. I thought that that's exactly what she's saying. There will be others who hopefully aren't as hawkish from the Fed because she's a one-woman stock destroyer. But she speaks like her camp is in charge, and that is disconcerting. The Fed's not going to stop until we see more unemployment, which is why we need more high-profile layoffs. I know that sounds strange, but it's what we need. Sure, DocuSign's firing people. How could they not? Peloton is firing people, too. COVID play. Bed Bath & Beyond reported same-store sales down 28% in its flagship nameplate store. So, of course, they got to be firing people. But we need to see actually stronger companies doing the same thing. Well-run companies that simply don't have enough business. No, I'm not talking about the hiring freeze that Mark Zuckerberg announced at Meta. I'm talking about outright layoffs. We need to see it because that's what the Hawks and the Fed want. They want bankruptcies. They want liquidations. You name it. And they want them from real big-name companies, not small-time tech outfits in Silicon Valley. If we're unlucky, the Fed will want to see stores in the mall going under. They want to see steel mills closed. They want plastic companies going belly up. A whole litany of things. But notice I didn't say banks. The economy is so strong and the banks are so well capitalized that as rough as this moment is, I don't think it's going to be anything like 2007, 2009. 2007, 2009, I'm calling that, you know what that was? That was cataclysmic. This is just incredibly nauseating. Here's one you can fix tomorrow. The Fed wants you off margin. Wants you off margin. You hear me? No more buying with borrowed money. And it wants speculation. Halt it. Speculation is a sign that there's too much money out there, highly inflationary. So we have to watch all speculative assets and bet that they will be wiped out. Crypto is the poster child for speculation. So it needs to get crushed before the Fed will stop administering its tough medicine. Anybody who borrowed money to buy Bitcoin or Ethereum needs to be blown out of the water just to please these people. That's what the Fed wants. They also want the memesters to disappear because they, too, stand for speculative excess. A wipeout GameStop would probably make them happy. Apes, I told you not to buy that Bed Bath Beyond last month, but you laughed at me. You made fun of me on Twitter, to which I say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but unread Twitter riposts never hurt me. Oh, and one more thing. Uh, NFTs, normally uh, non-fungible tokens, but now something I can't say on TV that it stands for, they need to disappear. With anyone who buys them becoming closeless emperors. I like a lot of the people who own NFTs. That doesn't mean anything. 
Good thing the NFT market is practically dead. At the same time, we need the help wanted signs to come down. They're still everywhere. You have to see many more lost or lease signs instead. I know these are not nice things that I am saying. Nobody wants a bad economy. I don't want you to get laid off. You don't want me to get laid off. But the Fed is going to make sure we have, we have many, many, many more layoffs until they think inflation is under control. Eventually, people stop paying attention to their portfolios at all. It's all like the five stages of grief. We still have too much hope. We saw that yesterday. We need that stamped out to appease Mester and her compadres. Finally, the Fed wants to see homes sitting on the market a long time, not best and final bidding wars. The Fed wants housing prices, your house, go down in price. We have nothing like that, nothing at all. Rates may have to go up substantially to make that happen. These are stark. These are vicious. They are far beyond what people were expecting until recently. But this is an aggressive, concerned, rightfully concerned Fed. We've had a good run of it, wealth building, and now they are taking some back if you let them. Me? I wouldn't do it this way. I think they should be more measured. I think they should be more prudent. I think they should take their time. They're beating inflation in so many places. Unfortunately, they're not winning on food. They're not winning on housing. And they're not winning on wages. And they need to hit that trifecta before this will end. Of course, Loretta Messer is on the extremely hawkish side. She was talking tough in 2018, too, right before the Fed pivoted and turned dovish. It could happen again. But for now, we're still waiting for these negatives to show up in the real economy before the Fed can declare victory. It's going to be difficult. That's the bad news. The good news, the Fed wants to get this done real fast and real quick, and I think they will. It'll be more like the brief bear market of 87 than the financial crisis of 2007-2009. And there will be intervals where it looks better. There are stocks right now that are too cheap to ignore if you take a longer-term view. Plus, a lot of damage has already been done. You're not coming in at the high, right? We've got so many stocks of companies with healthy balance sheets and good dividends, and you have my blessing to buy them. We talk about them all the time. We talk about them with the CBC Investing Club. But the bottom line, until housing, food, and wages go down, this market's taking its cue from that great investment legend, Mr. T, as Clubber Lang in Rocky Three, when asked what he was going to bring to Rocky Balboa, he said one word. Pain! The House of Pain. Lloyd, New York. Lloyd. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Lloyd. What's up? My wife and I recently inherited Papa John's stock. What are your thoughts? Okay. Uh, The restaurant business is a lousy business right now. A terrible business. I know that more than most. Uh, Costs are going up still, and you can't contain them. So I'm going to have to say, even though I like that company very much, you do not want to own it. Uh, I'm sure your basis is very low, but I have to tell the truth. You don't want to own that kind of stock right now. Uh-oh. Richard in Pennsylvania. Richard! Richard. Jimmy, how you doing? I'm having a long day, but it's okay because we're all in this together. I'm looking at my executive producer. She knows I try every day to bring it. I'm bringing it again. How can I help? So I have noticed that the banks are reluctant to raise their deposit rates, CD rates. Do you think the banks are going to raise them? And are they going to make more money on net interest margin? My question is for Bank of America. Bank of America. Okay, I was doing this yesterday. I was doing the work on Wells Fargo because we own it for the charitable trust. And I have to tell you, I know that it's de rigueur to say this, but I think the banks could be the leaders coming into the next cycle. Why do I say that? Because they are going to pay you very little on your uh, interest on your balance account, and they're going to make a lot of money. It's going to be very much like 91, 92. I, I cannot believe that I'm old enough to remember that. Most people who are watching 91. They may not even been born, but let me tell you, that was some great time for buying banks. Let's go to James in Washington. James! Booyah, Jim. I'd like your opinion. Booyah, James. In, in this market, is my stock a buy, sell, or hold? My stock is Generac, G-N-R-C. 
okay, I think our grid is so horrible, and I think the inventions that Generox's doing are so good that I actually like the stock here. It's down 50% for the year. I think if I wanted to buy 100 shares, I'd buy 25 here, and then every 20 points down, I'd buy more. So you say, well, why don't I wait till it's down all the way? Because it may not get there. I think it's a very interesting company for this time. I like it. Now, if we're talking about stocks with healthy balance sheets, you have my blessing to buy small, just like we're doing for the CNBC Investing Club. I think it's too late to sell. But until housing, food, and wages go down, well, let me tell you, the market's bringing you one thing. It's Clubber Lang's pain. Man, money tonight. Morgan Stanley, an investing club stock favorite, has a key thing going for it, and it's incredible leadership. So tonight we're checking with James Gorman to discuss everything from volatility to the bond market to your money. Then the used car cohort has collapsed ever since it peaked last summer. So is there still room for the sector to cruise higher or has the opportunity come and gone? You can tell what I think. I'm taking a close look at the space. And yesterday's bounce had investors hopeful for what's to come. But today's tape told a completely different story. I'm breaking down exactly what happened and how negative it was about what occurred yesterday. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed.
Now that yesterday's unlikely rally has been repealed, we're back in no man's land, totally hostage to the Federal Reserve. Even though stocks have already come down dramatically, there's no particularly compelling reason to stick your neck out and get bullish yet. In short, it's a time when we could use some direction. Which brings me to Morgan Stanley, the best of breed investment bank that we own for our travel trust. I've liked this one for a long, long time because it's made a gigantic pivot toward asset management. And that's a much more consistent game than the other guys. But I also like it because it's got great leadership. Ever since James Gorman took over in 2010, Morgan Stanley's stock is up more than any of the other major banks. More importantly, Gorman knows the industry better than anyone. And that's why I'm so thrilled to speak with James Gorman, the chairman and CEO of Morgan Stanley, to get a better sense of this moment. Mr. Gorman, welcome to Mad Money. Jim, great to be here. Thank you. I cannot think of someone I want more on the show than you right now, James. Yeah. Not because I want hand-holding, but I like rationality. You've lived through bull and bear markets. A lot of people feel this bear market will never end. What's your uh, historical perspective? Well, firstly, I've, I've seen a lot of markets. Um, I think you have to look at what drives the change in sentiment. And to me, I'm just not surprised. What did we expect? We've got a war in the Ukraine. We've got inflation at the highest we've had for 40 years. We've got the Fed moving aggressively on rates, having done nothing for 10 years. Rates have been zero. The market's awash with money. What did we expect? So you've had the bubbles that have been out there, the SPACs, uh, the cryptos, and so on. They're getting washed out. So it's not totally surprising where we are. That's where I start from. If that's the case, then when we hear the Fed talking tough, it should talk tough, and it should take tough action. Listen, you can't have free money forever. Right. Yeah, of course, you, you'll, you'll end up with an imbalance. I mean, it's all about GDP growth and interest rates, and the Fed tries to moderate that about, I think, half the times that they've tightened in the last 30, 40 years, they've uh, overshot a little bit, but half the times they haven't. So we're in, we're in that zone, and everybody's obviously making the bet whether they're overshooting, going to push us into a serious recession, whether we're going to have a mild recession, whether we're going to have a soft landing, or we're going to get perfection. And that remains to be seen. And what does James think? I like your view. You know more than almost everybody I speak to. Yeah, well, I, I, think, uh, I think it's unlikely that we're going to have a hard landing at this point. Um, I think the Fed will keep pushing. I mean, we're at, we're at uh, a little over 3% now. They'll probably end up, at our house call is, you know, 45 4.75. Um, listen, we've got, we're toggling between inflation, unemployment and rates. And my sort of Nirvana scenario for now would be 4, 4 and 4. Get inflation back to 4%, bring rates up to 4% and have unemployment, which is slightly below 4. It'll tick up a little bit to 4. That's Nirvana. We probably won't get that. But I don't, I don't think, I don't see yet enough to tell me this is a real crisis. Geopolitical issues aside, right. that could tip things very differently. Obviously, if I'm wrong about the Fed's ability to tame inflation, that tips things differently. So there, there are reasons to be concerned, clearly. The market is not stupid. The market reflects that. So we've got to respect the market. But, and we've got an inverted yield curve at the moment. So there's a lot going on. But I personally am not seeing the sort of very dire crises we've seen through my career. Well, that's really important because I've studied your career and I recognize that if you felt that it wasn't worth staying the course, you would actually say it. You would say, you know what, Jim, it's actually not a bad idea to sell a lot of stock here. I'm not hearing that. Yeah, and I'll also tell you, I watch the behavior. We're dealing with 15 million clients through their uh, places at work, through E-Trade platform, which I'm sure we'll talk about, through our wealth management advisors. We're managing over $4 trillion and with our asset management business, wealth and asset together, nearly $6 trillion. I'm not seeing panic in that. This is not 87. It's not even 91. 
It's not the dot-com crash and it's certainly not the financial crisis. That doesn't mean it can't become one of those, but it's not there yet and behaviour supports that. Well, we are going to talk about how you have really revolutionised the firm in a way that, you know, I, th- I'm, I think Thank you're you. the best at. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, it sounds like to me that if we don't get Nirvana, even if we don't get Nirvana, we're still not in a situation like the 2007, 2009, where Morgan Stanley was at, you know, 11, 10, 9. And I, and I was concerned about the viability of a lot of the firms. That's not going to happen. Well, there are two things that are very, very different from, frankly, all of those crisis periods I've talked about. The first is the bank's capital and balance sheet. These, the U.S. banks, and OK, I'm talking my own book, but on behalf of our peers, the AG SIBs, GCFE globally systemic banks are in the best shape financially they've been in in decades as a group. Different business model issues, etc. But as a group, from a capital liquidity perspective, going into a crisis, you want your financial system and you want your core banks, banks to be so strong, and they are. Secondly, consumers, they, they refinance a lot of their mortgages. They had the luxury of very low rates for a long time. They saved during COVID. Consumers come into this with their personal balance sheet better. Those two things are very different from some of the other periods we've had the last 20 years. Now, what are you looking for to see that perhaps the Fed might be done? What has to happen? Does unemployment have to go to five? I mean, talk about the 444. But what I listened to um, Loretta Mester today, very important Fed member, I felt like that a lot of the work that we had done toward uh, slowing inflation really didn't mean much to them, that they're not happy at all with how this economy, that wages are too high, homes are too high. They're not happy with how they're cooling things. Well, listen, the Fed's got a ways to go. I mean, we might have another 75. We, you know, again, our house call is 75 followed by 50 followed by 50. Um, I felt for a long time the Fed was very late. Right. I said I'd, I'd be like a squirrel. I like oh. putting a few nuts away because you never know when you're going to need them. Right. So we didn't do that. COVID obviously delayed that. The Ukrainian, Russian-Ukrainian war delayed that. There are reasons why the Fed didn't act. So I, I understand it. I, you know, accept it. But now they've got to move aggressively. So they're, in my view, going to be less concerned about whether we tip into a mild recession than they are about taming inflation, which, if they don't, creates all sorts of havoc. All right. Well, what we're doing when we come back, we'll talk about your amazing wealth advisory business, what you're telling people and how you've reinvented the firm, because I can tell you that you're the largest financial we own in my trust. And there's a reason Thanks. because of your leadership. Thank you. Bad Money will be back after the break with James Corbin, the CEO of Morgan Stanley. Kramer's continuing the conversation in his two-part exclusive interview with Morgan Stanley CEO when Mad Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. We're back with James Gorman. He's the chairman and CEO of Morgan Stanley, the investment bank I like so much that I own a big for my travel trust. Let's get right back to it. James, you have reinvented this firm. I remember the, the Morgan Stanley I applied to was kind of a, a let's say, a trade em, wham, a jam, a firm. Your company is now the premier wealth advisor company in the world. Mm. How were you able to do that? Well, firstly, we had a view. Right? You've got to start with the point of view. And the view was that a separate trading banking business on its own was much less attractive because of its volatility to investors. So we needed some annuitized fee business. We had it in the old Dean Witter business and a smaller asset management, but they weren't at scale. So the view was this, we knew what the answer was, but we had to get to scale. So we bought Smith Barney back in 2009. Uh, we bought E-Trade, we bought Solium, we bought Eaton Vance, we bought Mesa West. All of these were building blocks to get us to scale. So it was, it was actually a very simple concept. Executing it required, you know, we had, to, we had to make some calls and some people thought we overpaid for some of those assets. I don't think so anymore. But there, these are assets that are sticky yeah. and they go up, up, up. The old days, you were what I regard as an episodic firm. Those days are now past. Well, I think it's all about stability. I mean, if you look at the wealth businesses, which generate, um, you know, roughly $6 billion a quarter for the last couple of years, look at those businesses. They, they, they don't move very much in their daily numbers. I mean, plus or minus 5 million on 100 million. So incredibly stable, sticky, but also stable when you've got them. And we love that. But then you've got the investment bank, which is like a turbocharger. When the markets are good, the bank is doing phenomenally. But at the same time, uh, people all lump these together. They say you have investment banking, investment banking's doing poorly, so why don't we just sell this stock down? It's not any different from the way it used to be. That's just not a fair characterization. Well, it's, it's, it's honestly just not looking at the numbers. Okay. I mean, some people have looked at and, and said because of the investment banking market and the capital markets market at the moment, which is tough, right? Because of that, uh, these stocks are much less attractive. I say, seriously, take a look at what percentage of the revenues that we have that are tied up in those kinds of activities that are depressed right now. By the way, they're delayed. They're not shut down. Right. That's uh, they're going to happen. Companies will go public. Deals will get done. So I'm not concerned about it at all. I think, at, you know, where the stock is trading in this environment, obviously, I feel very good about what we're doing. Well, obviously, because you've been buying back more stock than anybody else and you've been returning a nice dividend. You've got the best in the group. And we're retiring. We'll, we'll retire, you know, six, seven percent of stock this year. And we've got a dividend yield of three and a half percent. So shareholders are getting a nine plus percent return without getting out of bed. It's not bad. Right. So I feel very good about the position. We should bring the share count down. We started after the E-Trade Eaton Man steals around uh, 2 billion shares outstanding. You know, my target will be down around 1.5, 1.6. Wow. And, it's, you know, then you're paying smaller dividends because you're not paying dividends on the shares you retire. Now, there was a time when if you told me that Morgan Stanley was going to own E-Trade, I, said, I would say, are you kidding me? Yeah. But it turns out that the wealth is in Solium and E-Trade. That's where it starts. You are going for the long ball. These are people who, if they save well, will become... 
the premium wealth clients for the next 20 years. Well, and just give a call out to E-Trade. They just got rated the number one online brokerage business uh, yesterday uh, by Clippingers, which is, is great. No, listen, we, we, we owned the financial advisor piece. Bang. Second leg, we needed to own the direct piece. Schwab Ameritrade, phenomenal companies, Fidelity. We needed to be in there. We could build it or we could buy it. We bought E-Trade. Third leg, we want to own or at least be uh, one of the top two competitors in the workplace with Fidelity. And through Solim and E-Trade, we've got that. So we're now managing something like 30, 35% of S&P stock plans in this country. So if you've got all three legs, you're getting people through advisors, you're getting them through trading online, and you're getting them through uh, their workplace, you can provide incredible capability to them because you're amortizing it across a huge fixed cost. No, but space you, of revenues, I'm But sorry. you're not getting away entirely from risk. We know it's difficult. I know you can't talk about individual clients, but you, you've got a big one, Elon Musk, and he may end up owning uh, uh, he may end up owning Twitter, and you could be on the hook for that. Is that true or not? Well, I, as you, I think you said it, I can't talk no. about it, Jim. But, you but know, we don't want you, you on the hook. You, you, you know, shareholder I'm, doesn't want you on the hook. Uh, do, do I look distressed right now? No. Uh, okay. That's, no. All, that's all I'll say. We'll see how this plays out. Well, I, I like I that attitude. Now, if you were with your wealthiest clients, what do you yeah. say that's different from the, the clients who aren't that wealthy who want to be wealthy? Well, the clients who aren't wealthy um, should, you know, what I've been worried about the last few years is the number of people who have been speculating in crypto. But, you know, it's fine if you bought at 600 and it's at, at 20. But do you believe but in it? People buying Listen, I, I think it's, it's an asset. It's a speculative asset by definition. I don't think it's a new form of stored value. Um, I think it's subject to a lot of regulatory risk. But do you that, own any? No, I don't own any. I wish I bought it at 60 well, bucks. Of course, we all right? do. I, but I, I'm I, glad I didn't buy it at 60000 Okay. So what I've been worried about and what I've seen a lot of individual investors is they got caught up in the hype. Right. We've seen this before. The dot-com. We saw this in the early 90s, in the, you know, 87 with the Black Monday crash and so on. So my worry for that group is, listen, your job is not to speculate. It's to build long-term wealth for stability. The very wealthy person, completely different. They can put 1% of their money on anything. They can put it on resources, put it on crypto, put it on whatever they like. That's fine. That's no risk because they can afford to lose that. So completely different focus. But how about the young? We have a lot of young uh, watchers at 25, 30. Isn't this a time to start? The market's so nowhere near its top. You know, Australia has a scheme uh, called the superannuation scheme where government mandated you save 15 percent of your uh, income. Right. And it's created these huge sovereign wealth fund asset pools in Australia. If there's one thing I could tell every 22 year old person starting a job, maybe they can't save 15 percent, but save five. And the compounding impact of putting money into the market, maybe start with an index, just get in the market. It's all about duration. You're in the market 50 years, it's better than 30, it's a whole lot better than 10. One last question. James Gorman is a little bit close to me in age. Uh, Can you stay longer? How much longer do you want to stay? Well, I, I, I truly believe in, in succession planning. Right. And I've been very clear with the board um, that, you know, these organizations do best when you regenerate right. and provide growth. And part of that is giving opportunities to people. So we've got a plan. Um, I won't give you the date right now. Uh, but, no, I'll, I'll step down at the right moment. But right, I will step enough. down and we've got a great team to follow me. Well, I'm sure you do. But it's but, not today. But you've done the best in the group. And yeah, it's a lot. I know kind. you have a great team. Thank but you. I'm looking at the top of it. Thanks, man. Okay, that's James Gorman, Chairman CEO of Morgan Stanley. Thank you so much, James. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Man, money's back after the break. 
Has the used car market stalled? Or could an investment in the sector help your portfolio cruise higher? Kramer's in the driver's seat and offering his take next. Top. We are really back on Inflation Watch now that we've woken up from yesterday's dream session to our nightmare reality where the Fed Reserve is going to keep tightening and tightening until we get some price stability. But maybe we're actually making more progress on the inflation front than you might think or even that the Fed realizes. When inflation started getting ugly, one of the first places where it got out of control was in the used car market. Thanks to the chip shortage, we didn't have enough new cars, even as demand for vehicles soared because people were fleeing the cities for the suburbs, work from home, and of course, for the country. By early to mid-2021, used car prices skyrocketed higher, and they ultimately became a major contributor to high inflation. But what matters is that used cars were a great tell. Those price increases hit before we got more broad-based inflation. The whole group were higher before peaking around last summer and then collapsing over the last year or so. I want you to be thinking about Carvana, CarMax, and AutoNation. Unfortunately, the actual price of used vehicles remained stubbornly high for most of the year, jacking up the inflation indices that they're part of before pulling back pretty hard over the last couple of months. Now, in recent weeks, though, investors started trying to bottom fish in the group. Today, we found out that was a terrible mistake when CarMax reported a devastating quarter, and that crushed every stock in the space. It was just brutal. So what's going on here? Why don't we start with something called the Mannheim Used Vehicle Value Index, which paints the clearest picture of used car inflation or deflation. This index has been declining steadily since January, but each reading was still up year over year because of earlier price increases. For example, the Mannheim Index reading for the month well, it was this one. It was down 2.3 from August, but it was still up half a percent from last September. However, as long as the trend continues, then it's looking very likely we're going to see a year-over-year decline in used car prices next month. That's what's been a wait. We're really hoping for that. It represents real progress in the war against inflation. Believe me when I say, like the top of the show, the Fed sees this as a win if we started getting year-over-year declines. A weird thing happened over the last few months, though. After getting obliterated earlier this year, the used car stocks started making a comeback. Carvana, the digital-focused used car retailer, bottomed at 19 in mid-July and then surged to $58 at its highest last month, although it's pulled back to 26 and change again as of yesterday's close. The fact is that the stock wasn't making lower, new lows, even as the S&P 500 kept plumbing new depths. That was perceived as bullish. CarMax, more of a traditional used car dealership, did make a new low last Friday before surging to $86 yesterday as part of the dream rally based on the Bank of England ratcheting back its fight against inflation. Let me put it this way. From the end of April through last night's close, CarMax was actually up slightly while the S&P was down 10%. I can't really say the stock was thriving, but it was certainly holding up better than the rest of the market. How about AutoNation, which is similar to CarMax? This stock bottomed at 96 in April, and it went out at 112 last night. Now, that's surprisingly strong performance for an industry that's directly in the Federal Reserve's crosshairs. Why the heck did so many people get excited about the used car stocks? Well, Carvana is a unique case because at its lows, many investors were worried that the company would actually go under because of its balance sheet. Fortunately, Carvana was able to raise several billion dollars in April, albeit at terrible terms. But that kept the business afloat. When the company reported its latest quarter last month, the results were substantially worse than expected. 
But the stock still soared 40% the next day because it had been beaten down so badly and there was a lot of short covering. The quarter wasn't apocalyptic, and that was enough for some people. As for CarMax and AutoNation, I think they were seen as trade down plays. More demand for cheap stuff in a slowdown. And also their stocks were seen as extremely cheap. CarMax appeared, appeared, that's the operative word, appeared to be selling for 15 times earnings. AutoNation appeared to be selling for less than five times earnings. Emphasis on appeared. The used car stocks look cheap, but that was a trap because they simply can't meet Wall Street's earnings estimates in this environment. Sure enough, when CarMax reported this very morning, they gave you a gigantic shortfall. The company earned 79 cents a share. Analysts were looking for $1.39, much weaker than expected revenue. And same-store sales down 8.3%. That's horrible. Their total wholesale unit sales were even worse, off 15%. And each of those sales was much less profitable. CarMax is getting squeezed by bad affordability. Inflation has made used cars too expensive. And weakening consumer confidence. Crosshairs of the Fed. They see consumers prioritizing smaller discretionary purchases, not making big-ticket items like cars and trucks. Worse, on the conference call, CEO Bill Nash talked about the cadence of the quarter. They were seeing low single-digit declines in same-store sales for June. Those numbers then fell sharply at the beginning of July, with August seeing declines in the mid-teens. In other words, the quarter started off bad, and then it just got much, much worse. When asked about the slowdown, Nash explained, there's not one single thing that I can point to like, oh, this happened and that's why we saw the decline. I think it's just a continuation, kind of the deterioration of the overall consumer. Then he added, moving into September, we're seeing the same softness that we saw in August. Oh, man, that's real bad news for investors. But it's actually good news if you're the Federal Reserve waging war against inflation. Remember, that's our theme. CarMax also provides financing for its used cars, and that's not a business that you want to be in when the Fed's aggressively raising interest rates. Got to worry about bad loans now. The only positive takeaway here, CarMax actually gained market share during the quarter. In other words, this is how the used car business looks when a company's doing well versus the competition. Just imagine how the other guys are doing, the ones who lost market share. It's no wonder the whole used car complex collapsed today. CarMax plummeted 25%. Pin Action sent Carvana down 20%. AutoNation losing more than 10% of its value, and the smaller lithium motors of Medford, Oregon sinking 7%. Sometimes when a stock looks cheap, that's simply because it is a value trap. But we care about the used car business because of what it tells us about inflation. And the bottom line is this. When you look at this quarter from CarMax, it tells you the Fed's been incredibly successful at eroding consumer confidence. J-PAL doesn't want people to spend their money on big-ticket items, and it sure seems like everything's going according to plan when it comes to used cars. Again, we want the Fed to win, but not by throwing any of these companies into permanent purgatory. A tough Fed, though, if it isn't careful, will do just that. Let's take calls. Let's go to Dave in New Hampshire. Dave. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I am doing fine, Dave. Thank you for calling. How are you doing? Okay. I think you're great. Um, I've been with you quite Thank a while. You. My stock tonight, Jim, is Tesla. I'm also hearing a rumor about Ellen, Elon Musk uh, and Rumble. I don't know what that is. Well, all about. look, here's what we know. We know that Tesla's best in class. We know that if, uh, if China, they're even making their numbers in China. We do think the world of Elon Musk, I think Tesla is going to bounce here. Uh, I never recommend calls uh, on this show, but I would be paying deep in the money calls just in case something happens in that lawsuit with Twitter that causes him to have to sell. Let's go to Lisa in Nevada. Lisa. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Oh, uh, you know, these days are getting hard, Lisa, to tell you the <laughs> truth. They're really getting hard. How can I help? Well, Jim, I want to talk about ChargePoint. I'm um, 
heavily into this stock, and uh, I want to know what you think about um, if the number if the number's ever going to get to uh, twenty dollars. Well, I'll tell you. Here's the problem: charge point. It's in the right place, but it's speculative. And the stock market, as we've been saying, is disliked by the Fed for its speculative nature. And ChargePoint is, even though totally right zeitgeist for our country, too speculative for mad money. All right, we care about the used car business because of what it tells us about inflation. And the Fed should care, too. And when you look at this quarter from CarMax, it tells you the Fed's being incredibly successful at eroding consumer confidence. Maybe that will help. It's not clear. Mad money's back in. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round, next. It is time to start the lightning round. That's where I take your calls rapid fire. You say the name of the stock. I tell you to buy, 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 sell, 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 just be clear. I do not know the calls or stock questions. Every time I stand, prayers, grab everybody, play the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, tell me the lightning round comes in. Let's start with Brandon in Maryland. Brandon! Hey, Jim. First time caller. I'm calling Thank about you. a global e-commerce stock. I want to get your opinion on Alibaba. Uh, I, numbers are coming down. Uh, price targets are coming down. I do not want you to touch that stock. Let's go to yeah, Dusty in Virginia. Dusty! Hey, how you doing, Jim? Good to talk with I'm you. I'm doing well, Dusty. How are you? I'm great. I would like your thoughts on the Sherwin-Williams company, SHW. And uh, do you I think, think the, we'll the price series multiple is still way too high on that stock, even though it is profitable and good company. I think the stock goes lower. How about we go to Jack in Massachusetts? Jack. Yes, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Charles to the left. Buy, sell, hold. All right. I think Charles Lear Labs has come down so much, down 50%. It's got a... Finally doesn't have a high price earnings multiple. I would actually start buying that stock right here, right now. Let's go to Karen in Georgia. Karen. Hi. Um, thanks for having Hi, me, Jen. Um, so should I hold or sell my shares in Cassava Science? Uh, okay, so this is a fantastic speculative play. As long as you understand that it's speculative, because it's neurogen, uh, it's I do a lot of work with, the, with neurologists. And this is the kind of company that could strike gold or not. But you've got to understand you could lose everything. Let's go. I mean, that matters. Let's go to Jake in Pennsylvania. Jake. Booyah, Jim, here from the suburbs of Philadelphia. How about those eagles? Oh, go birds. Go birds. And what's happening? Calling to get your thoughts on RV. Very good, der- very good dermatology and aesthetic medicine. They've got the right drugs. I think people like it. It's good in this environment. It's okay to buy. Let's go to Bill in Illinois. Bill. The booyah, Jim from the jet stream. I'm a long-term airline pilot and interested in Boeing stock. And uh, wondering if you're thinking it's a buy at this at these uh, low well, levels. They, now we're go- seeing. You know, first of all, I, I think you had a great job, but I got to tell you. There are a company, China's developing its own plane. I've been doing that for a long time, but it's hurting Boeing stock. Boeing actually probably needs a break or two, and I just can't see where they're going to get it from. So I'm going to have to say right now, you still got to avoid the stock. Marty in Virginia, West Virginia, Marty. Booyah, Jim. Long time, first time. Like Excellent. All legal tech company by the name of CS Disco. Don't need it. 
Don't need it. Don't want it. Expensive stock. Losing money. We don't buy. We do not buy money losers in this environment. When there's so many companies that are making a killing. Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer, my mad Tuscan friend. How are you? Uh, Dave, you know, more days like this, it couldn't be better, right? You and me. You and me together. Yeah. We, need a, we need to go to the Bear. The Bear's restaurant. Okay? Like, yeah, I'm there, buddy. Yeah, Corner. Jim, your thoughts on your thoughts on C Gen. All right, down here, I don't understand. I think Merck has to buy them. I really do, Dave. I would not sell this stock here. I'd be a buyer. And I got to tell you, all I can say is that when I see that stock there, I think, Merck, you need the growth, you do the buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TDM Evertrade. Yesterday's move higher had investors hopeful for the future of this market. But what explains today's sudden turn? Kramer's offering up a rarely talked about explanation next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Two and a half million weddings will take place what? this year. Uh, the highest since 84. One reason why Walmart's selling dresses now. That's a lot of weddings. Two and a half, Two and a half million? million. So that would be five million people. That's incredible. <laughs> Look at him. How many shoes? It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. than a bear market rally, the kind that gets rolled back the very next day. The problem with a bear market is it's really insidious. It beckons you to come back in. It calls you. It knows your name. It mesmerizes you. It makes you feel like that whatever's wrong is now a thing of the past. Bear markets are expert at playing dead. Then you discover that the bear is very much alive and you get mauled like we saw today. Although maybe that's giving the market too much credit. Yesterday, buyers thought we were at the beginning of a new era because the Bank of England threw in the towel in its fight against inflation. I guess, I guess people forgot, we, we live in America. The very next day, these same buyers realize the Fed's going to do whatever the heck it needs to do to tame inflation. So the stocks they bought, they just got completely slaughtered. Sell, 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 sell. <laughs> markets are always like that. The house of pain. The come-hither moment comes and goes, leaving you holding the bag. Why is this so hard to recognize? Well, first, we've all been keying off the two-year treasury. I talk about that endlessly. These notes have gone, uh, they've been going down relentlessly, meaning their yields have been surging higher, making these pieces of paper ever more attractive to people who might own stocks. When the bulls saw the two-year moving rapidly in the opposite direction, rates going down, they thought it was an all-clear signal. False. The problem is that bond traders can be just as dumb as stock traders. There was no reason for the yield in the two-year to go down yesterday. Everybody was taking their cue from the U.K. That makes no sense whatsoever. The British economy is a disaster right now. It's, not, it's just not analogous to what's happening here. Second, as I described last night, there's so much negativity out there that it's very easy for the bulls to start a fire with a little kindling. Extreme negativity is a precondition for any kind of rally. But that doesn't matter because right now the Fed wants your portfolio lower. I keep saying that to you. One day you're going to believe it. 
and they're not going to stop until they get their way. Third, speaking of the Fed, you better believe they're going to maintain the world in inflation because nothing has happened that would change their minds. As a matter of fact, some of them think it's only gotten worse. we got strong jobless claims today, another overheated inflation number. No justification for reason. So they're not going to. They're going to tighten. Now, maybe you're wondering, how could the buyers not know that yesterday? Weren't they basing their decisions on something more sophisticated? The answer is no. You've heard of smart money. But tonight, I want to introduce you to the concept of dumb money. On days like yesterday at my old hedge fund, I would always hit the wires, check around to various trading desks to see who was doing the buying. I never wanted to get the names of funds. That's a secret. But I'd ask, is it smart money or is it dumb money? Invariably, on a day like yesterday, I get the answer. Dumb money, Jim. That means money managers who often wrong because they're too eager or they're too bullish all the time. And you've seen those people on TV. Too bullish. Look, I know that when you're a market commentator, you're not supposed to say, oh, the reason uh, we went up is because the buyers were idiots. I mean, that should never be your go-to explanation for anything. Way too glib. Sometimes, though, stupidity is the most important explanation. Sure, there are a lot of very smart people in this business, but there are a lot of morons, too. Yesterday, the morons bought. They bought like crazy. And when the dumb money wants to do something foolish, nothing can stop them. They have every right to be as stupid as possible. you got to remember, in a bear market, there are plenty of people who are eager to do stupid things. Sometimes they dominate the action. The important thing is that you can't take the averages seriously when they come in and buy, because that's how you get your guts ripped out. So next time you see a market go up for no reason whatsoever, uh, that's cogent or germane, ask yourself if it's just you think the dumb money doing it, and uh, chasing a rally, well, let's just say one based on nothing, you must never do that. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I probably try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.